Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are continuing our five-part spotlight on the jazz legend, Wayne Shorter, who passed away on March the 2nd. And um, as I had stated before, um, I already had some plans in the works to celebrate Wayne's 90th birthday in August, but life's funny that way. So we are doing it now, uh, especially because there have been uh, so many outpouring memories and stories of the great Wayne Shorter. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we give him his due and look at him from a couple of different angles, musically speaking. So Hopefully, if you're new to Wayne Shorter, then you will find out some very pertinent information. And if you are very familiar with Wayne, then you can just sit back and enjoy the music. So, um, as I said before, this is a five-part spotlight on Wayne, and this is part two. This is Wayne Shorter and the second great quintet with the great Miles Davis. Of course... This quintet consisted of Miles on trumpet, Wayne on tenor saxophone, the great Herbie Hancock on the piano, Ron Carter, Planet Elegance, hashtag Planet Elegance, on the bass, and the one and only Tony Williams slamming those drums. So in this episode, we've got 12 tracks from... Wayne Shorter's time with Miles Davis from 1964 to 1970 and it spans quite a range of music so sit back grab a beverage if you'd like and um, we're going to present to you 12 of of what we feel are the best representations of Wayne Shorter's tunes within the Miles Davis second great quintet only here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Enjoy.
<laughs> I agree with Miles. You can take any part of that you want. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so some absolutely fantastic music in that set. We started off, and we're going to go, by the way, in this um, part of the spotlight with uh, on Wayne Shorter with Miles Davis and this great second quintet. We're going to go chronologically so you can kind of hear things. I mean, this his time with Miles Davis... As we said, um, <clears throat> from 1964 to 1970, came off the heels of Wayne with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And in that four-year span, he created some great music and became the musical director and the main composer for Art Blakey's group. So if you haven't checked out that episode, check that one out first. It's a five-part thing. This is part two. But in this uh, span of time, we are actually going to go chronologically to kind of show you the evolution of Wayne's writing for Miles Davis's second great quintet. So we started off that set with ESP, Extra Sensory Perception, ESP, uh, from 1965 from the Columbia album of the exact same name, ESP. And of course, uh, this features the second great quintet, Miles Davis on trumpet, Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Herbie Hancock on piano, Ron Carter on bass, Tony Williams on drums. Um, they're like, you know, jazz legends, jazz gods. You know what I mean? The, the stories and the music is just so far up there. You know what I mean? For that everybody strives for that kind of... Um, that kind of interplay and that kind of, uh, you know, musical um, sympathy with each other that you could just kind of read each other's minds. So, um, yeah. And anyway, <clears throat> um, Wayne wrote that tune, ESP, for this recording date. And it's interesting because, you know, l let's back up a quick step. You know, Miles' uh, first great quintet, was, of course, Miles Davis on the trumpet, John Coltrane on the tenor saxophone, Red Garland on the piano, Paul Chambers on the bass, and Philly Joe Jones on the drums. In fact, a lot of cats would record with the rhythm section of Red Garland, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones and call it the rhythm section. A lot of those prestige albums by John Coltrane had you know, the rhythm section backing him up. On top of that, you also had uh, cats like Art Pepper. And the name of the album was like Art Pepper meets the rhythm section. And then, of course, it was those same three, you know, and it swung like mad. So there came a point in time. And this is after Kind of Blue with Bill Evans and Wynton Kelly and Jimmy Cobb, who had joined the band by that point along with Cannonball, there was a certain point where Coltrane said, you know, look, Miles, I want to go. I want to do my own thing. I want to spread my wings. You know, I've got some ideas. And Miles coerced him to go on one last European tour, you know, as a, as kind of like a hurrah. But Train, he, you know, when he went to tell Miles that he wanted to leave, he's like, look, I've got a cat, you know, that would be perfect for you. It's this young cat named Wayne Shorter, like, you know, 
And I think that the the thing was is that he said something like, or either Coltrane said or someone else said that Wayne scrambled those eggs the same way that Coltrane did. That's where the, all the, the scrambled egg talk comes from. And what they mean by scrambled eggs, for those of you who are not, you know, who, who haven't read tons of books on this stuff, I get it. You know, I don't want to speak over your head. So what they mean by the scrambled egg theory is that Coltrane was saying, you know, he was always trying to superimpose these other changes to the tunes and, you know, kind of like the way Charlie Parker did, but on, a, on a, even on a further level, right? And it just kind of sounds like a lot of notes that are searching, you know, for something and um, outlining different tonalities in each song. And Wayne was going down that exact same path as well. And not a lot of people were. So that that's kind of the thing that Coltrane said, well, like, if you're looking for that, you know, this guy kind of you know, scrambles eggs or somebody said that. So. But Miles, you know, like I said, he coerced Train to go on this one last European tour. And, you know, so that's what it was. And Wayne kind of was already set to join Miles, you know, if he called him. But Miles never called him because he coerced Train to go to Europe with him. And so because of that, Wayne signed on with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers and further kind of cemented his name into jazz history by you know, being with Art Blakey for four years. And then after Train left, um, Miles, you know, did a couple of recording sessions and a couple of, like, live gigs with Sam Rivers and Hank Mobley and and things like that. Uh, But when he finally got, I mean, he, he had had Tony Williams in place, Herbie Hancock in place, Ron Carter in place. And when he finally called Wayne and Wayne says, like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come aboard. When Wayne finally came aboard, Wayne was the catalyst. It wasn't so much Miles. Miles had the vision. Don't get me wrong. Miles is fantastic. There's no debating how great Miles is. Miles had the vision, <clears throat> but it was actually Wayne who was the catalyst in that group. So... There's something to be said there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that and, and, and kind of get deeper into it. But I'm not going to take up all the, the oxygen in this break first. Um, but like I said, the first tune was ESP from 1965. The second tune that we heard, well, the second and the third tune, both come from the 1966 album Miles Smiles for Columbia Records. And it's the same great you know quintet. Uh, the second tune that we heard is Orbits. And then we ended that set with the legendary standard written by Wayne Shorter, Footprints, which is kind of an altered blues in both the time signature and the fact that it's got some altered changes going on, you know, so. And it's got a very Eastern kind of vibe to it, which is very kind of cool. Um, But yeah, Footprints is um, one of those just jazz standards from the bass line to the melody line. And... um, there's some major telepathy going on there between, you know, all five members. And some people have even called it the way that they would improv off each other and finish each other's kind of sentences and provide this kind of free canvas for each soloist to solo on. They kind of, some people have called it playing tennis without a net. So 
there you go. Anyway, we'll we will talk more about it on different set breaks. Uh, but you are listening to the Wayne Shorter tribute part two. Uh, Wayne Shorter in the second great quintet of Miles Davis here on the Dr. Jazz podcast. Don't go anywhere. <laughs>
get in in about six times. <laughs> Thank you.
All right. Ah, I love all that. Mm. All right, so let's go in order. The very first tune that we heard in that set was Dolores, yet another track from the 1966 album Miles Smiles. And then the last two tracks were from the album Nefertiti from 1967. Uh, The tune that we heard in the middle there was yet another Wayne Shorter composition. These are all Wayne Shorter's compositions, by the way. Uh, We heard the Wayne Shorter composition, Fall, which is interesting uh, because in the liner notes, they say that um, typically there's a restlessness to the music here. Even the lilting gem, Fall, gives the impression that not only as that not only a sense of melancholy but a certain impatience solos are brief the lovely seven note refrain serving to move the piece along ever so gently pervades and yet fall stands alone as if it were recorded years earlier thanks to more traditional harmonic and melodic structures not to mention mood The balance of the recording offers twists and turns that summon the listener to recognize that the disquiet with traditional jazz heard on earlier tunes is now a constant. More than ever, Miles' penchant for change has him pushing the limits of his well-wrought inclinations for jazz. Hmm. So... Some, uh, at least John Efland from editor of Downbeat, seemed to think that it was a simpler harmonic structure and harking to the past. Well, you could say that all you want. Maybe it that it's more true, you know, uh, with this next tune that we heard, Nefertiti, the title track, uh, because there were no solos from the horns. There was no solos from Miles or Wayne. And Wayne wrote that piece. And, but if you'll notice that Miles and Wayne are kind of like, uh, I think the best word to put with that is massaging the melody over and over and over again in echoey ways, you know, kind of like a call and answer uh, directly, but still in time. Uh, They also play it in unison together. And, the rhythm section is truly the the feature of that piece because the comping from Herbie gets a lot more frenetic and then spaced out and then and it twists and turns in different ways. But and, and same with Ron on the bass part, but I think that the the central focus that you could hear is Tony Williams. To me, that piece is Tony Williams. He's the one that makes that piece what it is because he has full freedom, full liberty to play whatever he feels. He can just whack the drums or he can play time or he can kind of do these swells almost like a a volcano. A volcano might have, you know, quite an active period and then it kind of lies dormant for a while and then it could have a respout. So I think that Tony is really the the, the central focus, at least for my ears, the central focus uh, of the the rhythm section in that tune that that I, I gravitate to when I hear that tune. 
But, <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm also going to say this, that even Herbie Hancock, and God knows Herbie Hancock has written multitudes of great jazz standards, but Herbie Hancock said about Wayne Shorter in Miles Davis's second great quintet, this is what Herbie said. He goes, the master writer to me in that group was Wayne Shorter. He was a master. Wayne was one of the few people who brought music to Miles that didn't get changed. And even Miles Davis goes on to say that Wayne is a real composer. He writes scores, writes the parts for everybody just as he wants them to sound. Wayne brought, also brought in a kind of curiosity about working with musical rules. If they didn't work, then he broke them, but with a musical sense. He understood that freedom in music was the ability to know the rules in order to bend them to your own satisfaction and taste. And I think that Nefertiti is a great example of that because Wayne kind of went in and said, like, here's my tune, but who says that the horns have to solo over this? I mean, that's a pretty bold move for 1967. You know what I'm saying? So Wayne said, well, what if we just let the rhythm section play with it? Like they kind of solo collectively while we just kind of restate the theme in different ways and kind of massage it over and over and over again. And Miles was kind of receptive enough to go like, okay, <laughs> let's try it. Let's see what happens, you know. So uh, Ian Carr, a great uh, musician and uh, great author, said that with Miles Davis, he felt that Wayne Shorter found his own voice as a player and a composer. That Art Blakey's hard-driving, straight-ahead rhythms had brought out the muscularity in Wayne Shorter's tenor playing, but the greater freedom of the Miles Davis rhythm section allowed him to explore new emotional and technical dimensions. So, there's something to be said there. Um... It's interesting, you know, because this this second great quintet, you know, it, it's worth noting that they started playing standards. They were playing So What and Stella by Starlight and Yesterdays and, you know, tunes like that, Autumn Leaves, When I Fall in Love. If you don't believe me, just go check out all the, you know, the tracks from the Plug Nickel sessions. Uh, those are fantastic. You know, My Funny Valentine, all those things. Um, Green Dolphin Street. And they were really pressing the envelope about f the freedom to kind of bust beyond just exactly like playing through the changes, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They were really like each soloist got to make an artistic statement. And then the standards kind of stopped and all the originals were so good that were being brought in and the whole band wrote that's the thing you had five writers in that band ron wrote tunes tony wrote tunes miles wrote tunes herbie of course wrote tunes and wayne shorter wrote tunes too so and that's that's saying something when every member of the band is writing original tunes and that goes back to what Herbie was saying, that Wayne's tunes were the only ones that did not get changed. 
And, you know, there's a special uh, lesson that Herbie actually has on the track, Nefertiti, in which he says, you know, Wayne did not write chord changes above these melodies. He didn't bring it in like a la real book for the cats to play. He wrote in voicings. So, like, you know, Herbie said that Wayne's part truly was like an A flat, a D, a G, and a C all on top there. You know, and that was like the first voicing on the piano to go with that melody. And like he had an exact way that he wanted Herbie to play those voicings. So and move from chord to chord. And he would write that out, not, you know, a flat, you know, sharp, you know, five or whatever. There was none of that mess. He wrote out exactly what he wanted to hear. And so uh, I think that's a testament to Wayne's vision and his ear and his compositional prowess. You know, a lot of people really do think that Wayne Shorter is like in that exact same echelon. And I happen to agree that he's up there with Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn and Thelonious Monk as some of the greatest and Jelly Roll Morton as far as some of the greatest jazz composers of all time. And I agree. I throw Fats Waller in there as well, but I agree. Herbie Hancock would be one of those as well. I mean, you think about everything from Rocket and Chameleon all the way to Watermelon Man, not to mention the stuff with Miles. So, yeah, I mean, I'd definitely put Herbie in that echelon as well. It's a very small club, you know. It's It would even be a less of a club than the Five Timers Club from Saturday Night Live, you know what I mean? But none of these cats get a robe. So you get what I'm saying. Uh, Wayne is super important, and, and I hope more than anything, just to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it, I hope more than anything that after you would listen to all five parts of this spotlight of Wayne Shorter and his music, that you hear quite a variety and versatility in his sound, in his vision, in his compositions. So, and that's what I think makes Wayne an you, you can't ignore Wayne in the whole history of jazz. And that's why he, he was such a legendary artist. So, all right, enough talking for me. Let's get to another set of music here on our special spotlight of Wayne Shorter with the Miles Davis Quintet.
great stuff. Great, great, great stuff. <sighs> All right. So the first track that we heard in that set was what is considered widely today a jazz standard, more of a modern jazz standard, but a jazz standard nonetheless. A tune called Pinocchio that Wayne wrote for Miles and the Second Great Quintet in 1967 off the Nefertiti album. And then in the middle of that set, we heard a tune called Prince of Darkness uh, that Wayne wrote in dedication to Miles Davis. This Miles had many, many nicknames, and um, the Prince of Darkness was one of them. And so Wayne wrote that tune in dedication to Miles because folks called him the Prince of Darkness, and it opened up the 1967 album Sorcerer. Um, interesting fact about this album, the cover... Uh, has an African-American woman on the cover, and that happens to be Cicely Tyson, who would, uh, about 15 years later, become Miles Davis's wife. So, there you go. Um, who knew? <laughs> uh, but no, Cicely is, is very, very, you know, she, she was a legendary actress in her own right. Um, yeah. And um, besides Prince of Darkness there in the middle of that set, we ended with uh, another Wayne Shorter original that was on the same album called Mascalero. And the interesting part about Mascalero is that it's kind of got this little um, Spanish flavor to it. Uh, not, not like sketches of Spain Spanish. It's more of a skewed Spanish flavor to this piece. But it's well known that Miles loved, loved um, Spanish guitar music, uh, boleros, things like that, right? And some people have, have even went so far as to say, like, you know, in some kind of things like the boleros and the flamenco music of Spain, there's a there's kind of a correlation between that music and the American blues. You know what I mean? We have we have varieties of blues, right? We've got like the Mississippi Delta blues, Chicago blues, uh, jazz blues, you know, and things like that. Uh, but it's still kind of considered blues, right? Well, you you could almost say the same thing that there's different flavors of you know, flamenco music and Spanish boleros and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. And and furthermore, if, if you kind of look in the future uh, to what Miles did when he went hyper-electric, like you start looking at some of those album, those live albums, Live at the Fillmore East, Live at the Fillmore West, Black Beauty, you know, um, things like that. The Cellar Door Sessions, um, yeah. Um, Mascalero was one of those pieces that Miles kept playing. Even after Wayne wasn't in the band anymore, Miles kept playing these and twisting different arrangements and different grooves over Mascalero. So Miles must have really, really loved that tune, which is pretty interesting and it's pretty cool. So this is a tune that a lot of folks might go, why did you include that? 
Oh, is it just because Wayne wrote it? No, it's because that tune, for some reason, is the only tune that really survived as a connecting thread from the second great quintet to even after all of those members left and Miles went hyper-electric in the 70s, which I found really kind of fascinating on, on, on a few levels. So, nonetheless. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, again, we are spotlighting the great late Wayne Shorter in a five-part series here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. This is part two, Wayne with the Miles Davis second great quintet from 1964 to 1970 is when he was part of, you know, Miles Davis's groups. And, um, yeah, we're hoping you really dig the music because these are all original compositions from the late, great Wayne Shorter. Uh, remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, TuneIn, Podbean, we're there. So if you know somebody who would really dig this music, please share it with them. Remember, this is a labor of love. We're not making a dime off this. In fact, we actually have to pay to upload this on our on our platform so that you can enjoy it. Um, so yeah, it you know spreading the word would be very appreciative. If you've got time, write a little Apple review. That'd be nice. You know, appreciate it. Um, also, if you're trying to jot down some of these titles and stuff, no need to worry about that. We actually have you covered. All you got to do is check out our website, the Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And there you can find out all the information, track titles, album art in the order in which we play them. So no worries. Um, also, if you'd like to write us an email, tell us maybe your favorite Wayne story or why a certain Wayne Shorter song is your favorite song, feel free. Just click contact at the top of the page there on the website and we will get the email and we will write you back. Might not be right away, but we will write you back. Guaranteed. Okay. So, um, yeah, we've got one more set for you. Uh, it's, it, it's kind of varied. We've got one from 1967, one from 1968 and one from 1969. So, that's a three-year kind of span right there in this next set. So don't go anywhere. Stay for the conclusion of Wayne Shorter with the Miles Davis groups here on the Dodge Jazz Podcast. <laughs>
So, that first track that we heard in that last set there was Water Babies, off of the album Water Babies, which is an original composition, again, by Wayne Shorter. All of these are Wayne Shorter's compositions. And he named this composition after uh, the 1863 children's novel The Water Babies, a fairy tale for a land baby. Wayne said that this book was the first entire book that he ever read as a child. The book is actually a fairy tale that follows a boy named Tom who falls into a river, and then Tom is transformed into a water baby, which is a type of fairy with gills that can live underwater. Shorter once told an interviewer that the story created within him this wonder about the netherworld and about the places that we can't see but that we can enter any time. And he goes on to say, after death, I wondered, is it something like that? That's a little poignant now that, um, you know, Wayne has passed. But I certainly hope that if that's what he wants it to be, then that's what he's doing. Um, the second song that we heard there was a track from 1968 from the album Miles in the Sky. We heard uh, the Wayne Shorter tune Parafer- Paraphernalia, um, which actually featured... It was the only track out of all four tracks on the album that featured the guitarist George Benson. Go figure. And even though he uh, got to take a solo, he mainly was doubling the bass line there to reinforce that. But uh, Miles in the Sky was actually... That title for the album was actually a nod to the Beatles' 1967 song... Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Hard to believe, but true. And then we ended this set and this episode of the podcast with the Wayne Shorter composition, Sanctuary, which is the closing track from the epic album, Bitches Brew, by Miles Davis, and featured Miles on trumpet, Wayne Shorter on the soprano saxophone, Joe Zavinul on the electric piano on the left channel, Chick Corea on the electric piano on the right channel, Dave Holland on the bass, Jack DeJeanette on the drums, Don Elias on the congas, and Juma Stantos on the shaker and congas. So, yes, and of course that is a huge, huge part of jazz history, the Bitches Brew album, as Miles went electric uh thank you so much for listening we do appreciate you we're nothing without you please check out the website pass on uh the podcast to anybody you think would dig it uh and in the famous words of duke ellington you are lovely you are gracious you are beautiful and we love you madly so until next time ashes to ashes dust to dust y'all be good now because in jazz We trust.